Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Informed Catholic. This is going to be uh, episode 57. My name is Ned Jabbar, so let's open up with a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, profession of faith, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended unto hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended unto heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, Mother of all Christians, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Church, Guardian of the Holy Family, pray for us. Saint Perpetua, Saint Felicity, pray for us. Saint Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. And Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, we're still we're in, still on the uh, quarantine lockdown, um, and uh, we're now in the second week of Easter. Um, I think it's good to explore um, the people of, of our faith in the past, the early Christians uh, who lived. Um, the faith they were a little closer to the faith but at the same time their situations were different um we take a lot of things for granted for example we have a lot of resources now we could read and write uh most of us uh god willing who live in a developed world have uh, had an education and we can read we have printed bibles we have access to media. We have access to the internet. Before in the past, it wasn't like that. Um, the basis uh, of knowing the faith, you have to learn it. And uh, you have to learn it from uh, the testimony of others by word of mouth. Um, they didn't have printed Bibles. You couldn't go to a, uh, out into the marketplace and buy yourself a Bible. That didn't work that way. Uh, you had to go to uh, a church. And sometimes, especially in the Roman Empire, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't legal. And most of the time, the early Christians were uh, slaves. Uh, they had to go early in the morning to a, a church service before the break of dawn, before your day begun, before you had to work for your master who... Uh, most likely was a pagan and um, it was um, you know it was just not considered uh, a safe thing to do and if you were caught you were punished and if you um, you were put to the test you had to bear witness by uh, becoming a martyr and the word martyr in Greek it means to bear witness to give testimony so I'm going to read a passage from Scripture um, to uh, from the book of Revelations to show you uh, what this meant. 
This is from Revelation chapter 6, after the opening of the seventh seal. Uh, I'll start from verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I saw, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, O, o holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren should be completed who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And then now we go down to uh, chapter 7, starting from verse 9, the multitude from every nation. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped god saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our god for forever and ever amen then one of the elders addressed me saying who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come and i said to him sir you know, and he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Before, therefore, they are they before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night with His temple uh, within His temple, and He who sits upon the throne will shelter them with His presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirsty any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So you see... Um, when you look at artwork or uh, Christian iconography, you often see that they're holding a palm branch. And the palm branch is a symbol of one who was martyred, who had to give their life uh, because they would not renounce their faith in Christ. Uh, usually that's what you see sometimes. You always see them. And, you know, look what it says in there that they're white robes that's been dipped in the blood of the lamb. Now, we all know that blood leaves a stain. 
but the blood of the lamb that turns their clothes white is referring to the fact that they have had their sins washed in the blood of the lamb. It's obviously, you know, a mystical thing because the blood of the lamb, who is the atonement and the atonement, the one who washes away our sins is Christ, who takes the sins of the world upon himself, the throne and the lamb who sits from the midst of the throne. Obviously, the Lamb is divine, who sits in the midst of God. And Jesus Christ is the only one. So, you see this. So now, uh, we're going to look into this particular saint, which uh, comes from the um, um, 3rd century, you know, uh, the 200s. Uh, actually, these particular saints, two of them stand out, Perpetua and Felicity. And they came from North Africa, uh, a Roman province. And theirs is the earliest recorded uh, testimony of a um, Roman, um, the early days of Christianity from the Roman Hellenistic period, from the Greek or Roman period of uh, the Christian faith. Though the Roman Empire was Latin and it spoke Latin in, uh, in the courts and the government of Rome, um, within the public, the, the streets of Rome, especially since the gospel, our, the gospel, the New Testament, was written in Greek. Greek was the common language; it was the easiest language to learn. What I'm going to read, what I'm going to read to you, is the information on uh, the background. Then we're going to read the testimony of Perpetual Felicity. So this is going to be part one, and then we're going to have part two. So let's begin. So for this episode, we're going to look into the story um, of the early Christian martyrs. A martyr is a person who was killed because of their testimony of Jesus Christ and God. In years of the early church, this often occurred through death by uh, sowing, stoning, crucifixion, burning at the stake, or other forms of torture. And, ca and capital punishment. The word martyr comes from kion, uh, spelled K-O-I-N-E. It's a Greek word, which means witness or testimony. <clears throat> At first, the term applied to the apostles. Once Christians started to undergo persecution, the term came to be applied to those who suffered hardships for their faith. Finally, it was restricted to those who had been killed for their faith. The early Christian period before Constantine I was the age of the martyrs. Early Christians venerated martyrs as powerful intercessors, and their uh, utterances were treasured as inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Western, uh, in Western Christian art, Martyrs are often shown holding a palm branch as an attribute representing the victory of, of, of spirit over flesh. It was, it was widely believed that a picture of a palm on a tomb meant that a martyr was buried there. Uh, the, use of the, the, the use of the word martyrus in non-biblical Greek was primarily a legal text context. It would use for a person who, sp who speaks 
from a personal observation. The martyr, when used in a non-legal context, may also signify proclamation that the speaker believes to be truthful. The term was used by Aristotle for observation, but also for ethical judgments and expressions of moral conviction that cannot be empirically observed. There are several examples where Plato uses the term to signify witness to truth, including the law. The Greek word martyr signifies witness, who testifies to a fact, for he has knowledge about from personal observation. It is in this sense that the term first appeared in the books, book of Acts, in reference to the apostles as witnesses of all that they had observed in the public life of Christ. Found in Acts chapter 1 verse 22, Peter, in his address to the apostles, and the disciples regarding the election of a successor to Judas, who employs the term with this meaning. Wherefore, of these men who have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus came, to, came in and went out among us, beginning from baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must be made witness with us of his resurrection. The apostles from the beginning faced grave dangers until eventually almost all suffered death for, for, the, for their convictions. Thus, within the lifetime of the apostle, the term martyr came, martyrs came to be used in the sense of a witness who at any time might be called upon to, de to, to deny what he testified to under the penalty of death. From this stage, the transition was easily was easy to, to ordinary meaning of the term, as used ever since in the Christian literature. A martyr or a witness of Christ is a person who suffers death rather than denies his faith, uh, according to St. John. At the end of the first century, employs the word with this meaning. A distinction between martyrs and confessors is traceable to the, latter, to the latter part of the second century. Those only were martyrs who had suffered the extreme penalty, whereas the title of confessor was given to Christians who had shown their willingness to die for their beliefs by bravely enduring the imprisonment of or torture, but were not put to death. Yet, the term martyr was still sometimes applied during the third century to persons still living, as, for instance, by Cyprian, who gave the title of martyrs to a number of bishops and priests and laymen condemned to uh, servitude in the mines. Religious martyrs is considered one of the more significant contributions of the Second Temple Judaism to Western civilization. It is believed that the concept a voluntary death for God developed at a conflict between King and Antagonus Ephinides uh, Af IV and the Jewish people. This is found in the first book of Maccabees and the second book of Maccabees. Recount different martyrdoms suffered by Jews resisting the Hellenization of their, uh, of their culture, being executed for such crimes as, as observing the Sabbath, circumcision of their children 
or refusing to eat pork or meat sacrificed to foreign gods. With few exceptions, this assumption has lasted from the early Christian period to this day, except, uh, accepted by both Jews and Christians. Well, um, well, that's that's a start to understand the, the meaning of the word and everything, I think. So we can go to the next step. The text is given the title, The Passions of Saints Perpetua and Saint Felicity. Passio Sanctorum Perpetua et Felicitatis. That's the Latin title, and it's found in both Latin and Greek. Uh, describing uh, the um, the life of an imprisonment of these early Christians, which is, this particular text is dated in the year 203 AD. Um, mainly, it's written by Perpetua herself, and her full name is a diary by Vibia Perpetua. And it's describing her imprisonment from the year 203 and completed after her death by a redactor. It's one of the oldest and most notable early Christian texts. And if you go on Wikipedia, you'll see a um, an opening page. All right, and it's um, the, the this earlier this particular text is dated from the ninth and tenth century. So, uh, you know. You know, a, a much later written, much later from the obviously two or three A.D. Now, um, along with the experience of perpetual felicity, the text also appears to contain uh, the words of the redactor, the ones who uh, recorded it after her death to complete the story, as uh, he, the one who's uh, writing it after her. Is claiming to be an eyewitness to her to the death of these Christians who have been imprisoned. Um, the redactor writes the accounts of the visions of Satoros, another Christian martyr, with perpetual and felicity. And the redactor states that he was an eyewitness and, and has added the accounts of the martyrs' sufferings and deaths. And as it says, it's found in both Latin and Greek. A summary of the Passion and Text. The traditional view has been that Perpetua Felicity and others, others who were martyred along with her by a Roman decree of Roman Emperor Symptomus Severus. He ruled from 193 AD to 211 AD. This is based on a reference to the decree of Severus. Severus is said to have issued forbidding the conversion to both Judaism and Christianity. But this decree is also uh, is known only from one source, the Augustan history. And some scholars think it's unreliable, mixed of facts and fiction. Early church historian Eusebius describes Severus as a persecutor. But... There's also a Christian apologist, Tertullian. And this is this is where you got to be very careful. Uh, listen to the words uh, of this particular part here. He states that Severus was well, dispo well disposed towards Christians, employed Christians 
and one was employed as his personal physician and had personally intervened to save several high-born Christians known to him uh, known to him from the mob. Now, high-born Christians. These were probably uh, aristocrats, people who were able to probably pay for their safety, sort of bribe the emperor, which wouldn't have been a surprise. After all, you got to remember, by this time, it's true that there were a lot of um, high-ranking Romans and certain people of high-ranking economic status that converted to the faith. But there was one problem. At this time, there was also um, some cases of heretical sect of Christians. Um, not all Christians were equal. Not all Christians, even in the Roman Empire, were of the same um status uh, a christian slave is not going uh, sometimes is not going to have the same exact status as a christian who is more high born and it could be that the family it could be that the person who's a christian um might have been of uh, of high born status but the family may have been of pagan status and so they could easily pay the emperor off to let their to let their uh, son or daughter or wife off the hook, so to speak. So, you know, um, we have to take it with uh, with a little bit more caution, and we have to look at it with a little bit more suspicion, exactly, because we don't know what exactly uh, is this is the situation of the story. We don't know the whole story. So, and also a lot of people whose faith were tested don't always pass the test. We know that for a fact. Um, because Jesus himself told us that. Not everybody is going to be strong. All right, so Eusebius, Saint, uh, Eusebius himself, um, description of Severus as a persecutor likely drives merely from the fact that numerous persecutions occurred during his reign, including those known to the Roman uh, mortiology, the record of martyrs, as the martyrs of Madura, as well as, uh, and as well as perpetual felicity in the Roman province of Africa. But these were probably as the result of local persecutions rather than empire-wide actions or decrees by Severus. That's also true. The local governor, similar to Pontius Pilate, could have um, was allowed to persecute and keep the, the this early sect or early practice religious practices um, were, to persecute them, and the Roman emperor was was not going to pay attention to this because uh, anything beyond Rome, the borders of Italy, was fine with the Roman emperor. Uh, if there were persecutions, you know, it's a possibility because um, in the provinces of the empire, it didn't matter about the Christians. Uh, in Rome, the situation might have been a little bit different. There might have been um, public opinions may not have been very favorable, didn't think it was necessary. You know, just like you look at the polls today, you look at what happens, like this lockdown. Now you're getting people who are protesting not just here in the united states but you're getting people protesting 
outside the United States. People uh, feel that uh, there's a lot of uh, the informations don't make any sense. There's a lot of disinformation and nothing adds up. You know, a lot of uh, conflicted information. The details of the martyrdom survive in both Latin and Greek text. Perpetuous account of events leading to their death, apparently historical, is written in the first person. A brief introduction by the editor uh, from chapters 1 to 2 is followed by the narrative and visions of Perpetua going from chapter 3 to chapter 9. This is probably Perpetua and her fellow uh, uh, Christians who were in prison with her. And the vision of Satarus, Satarus, from chapter 11 to chapter 13. The account of their death is written by the editor who claims to be an eyewitness and is included at the end of chapter 14 to chapter 21. Perpetua's account opens with conflict between her and her father, who wishes her to uh, to abandon her, her belief of the Christian faith. Perpetua refuses and is soon baptized before being moved to prison. You'll find that in chapter 3. After the guards are bribed, she's allowed to move to a better portion of the prison where she nurses her child and gives it charge to her mother and brother. This is found in chapter 3 as well. And the child's able to stay in prison with Perpetua for the time being, found in chapter 3 again. At the encouragement of her brother, Perpetua asks for and receives a vision in which she climbs up a dangerous ladder which uh, has various weapons attached to it in chapter 4. At the foot of, the, of a ladder is a serpent which she, is, uh, which she and Satarus are faced and later by, by Perpetua, she, Sataris faces it first, and then Perpetua faces it afterward in chapter 4. The serpent does not harm her, and she ascends to a garden, again found in chapter 4. At the conclusion of her dream, Perpetua realizes that the martyrs will all have to suffer in chapter 4. <laughs> Perpetua's father visits her in prison and pleads with her, but Perpetua remains steadfast in her faith. Chapter 5. She's brought to a hearing before the governor, and the martyrs all confess their Christian faith. Chapter 6. In a second vision, Perpetua sees her brother, Dinocratus, who had died unbaptized from cancer at the at the early age of seven. It's very interesting that they called it cancer back then. This is found in chapter seven, uh, her brother's death. She prayed for him and later had a vision of him happy and healthy. His facial disfigurement reduced to a scar. It's probably more, uh, this is again, um, chapter eight about his uh, scar. Um, I read about this and the the fact that he died and he died unbaptized and he uh, the cancer the cancer was is kind of looked on as uh, and his death probably in a purgatorial state. He probably knew about the Christian faith, probably admired his sister 
and wanted to be baptized. So this is probably the early belief of purgatory. And the scar meaning sort of like uh, the fact that he is, his time in purgatory will be less. Perpetua's father again visits in, in the prison and Pundans, the, the warden, shows the martyrs honor in chapter 9. The day before her martyrdom, Perpetua envisions herself defeating a savage Egyptian and interprets this to mean that she would have to do battle not merely with wild beasts, with, with, with the devil himself, chapter 10. Saturus, who is also said to have recorded his own vision, sees himself and Perpetua transported eastward by four angels to a beautiful garden where they meet uh, Jucantus and Saturnus, uh, Atarax and Quintus. These are all Roman names. Four other Christians who are burnt who were burnt alive during the same persecution. This is between chapter eleven and chapter twelve. He also sees they also see their bishop, Optitus and of Carthage, and the, uh, and uh, a priest, Absicius, who beseech the martyrs to reconcile the conflict between them. Chapter thirteen. As the editor resumes the story, Secuntulus is said to have died in prison in chapter 14. The, lay, the slave Felicitas gives birth to a daughter, and despite her initial concern that she would not be permitted to, to suffer martyrdom with the others, since the law forbids the execution of a pregnant woman, chapter 15, Romans were very superstitious about these things. On the day of the games, the martyrs are led into the amphitheater. This uh, is chapter 18. At the demand of the crown, they were first scourged before a line of gladiators. Then a boar or a bear and a leopard were set on the men and a wild bull on the women. This is... Uh, it's just a wild, wild cow, but I think they mean a wild bull. Uh, and this is chapter 19. Wounded by the wild animals, they gave each other the kiss of peace and were then put to the sword in chapter uh, 19. The text describes Perpetua's death as follows. But Perpetua, that she might have some taste of pain, was pierced between the bones and, shri and shrieked out, shrieked out, and when the swordsman's hand wandered still, for he was a novice, herself set it upon her own neck. Perchance so great a woman could not else have been slain, being feared of the unclean spirit, had she not herself so willed it. Just chapter 19, the text ends as the editor extols the acts of the martyrs. There's also a scene in the book where she... Um, before she was about to be martyred because her hair got messed up. And Roman women, uh, I guess in the Greek or Roman culture, uh, unkept hair was looked at as a sign of mourning and she didn't want to die and appear before her Lord with unkept hair. So she fixed her hair up in a proper way that made her look 
like a presentable woman. She didn't want to leave looking like a woman in mourning, like a widow. She wanted to look like a proper, a proper, a proper lady. So she uh, fixed her hair up and the crowd was sort of mesmerized by that. It's a very interesting scene. Um, this is this is it here. I'm not going to go into the debate over the text. Um, uh, the dating issues or anything like that. I think it's just uh, silly to argue over it. It's a it's a beautiful um, it's a beautiful story. It's one of the earliest story of the early Christian martyrs, and I think we're gonna. Um, uh, enjoy reading it because it's always good to he read the story of the martyrs in the past uh, before the reforms of Vatican II um, people used to enjoy and, and there's still there's still a chance we could enjoy reading the lives and stories of the saints because they were testimonies of Christ's life so uh, we're going to end it here um, let's say a prayer um in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we'll say a prayer of uh, a Hail Mary for the um, those who have suffered or are suffering because of this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Um, let's pray for, say a Hail Mary for it to end. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We'll say a prayer for uh, those who um, who are sick. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. And we'll say a Hail Mary um, for those who are suffering financially because of this. There's a lot of unemployment now. Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. We'll say our Hail Mary for the Holy Father. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless, and uh, we'll come back soon.